0: Hello and welcome to the Companies and Markets podcast. My name's Ian Smith. I'm the company's editor of the Investors Chronicle. Joining me is our news editor, Bradley Gerrard. How are you doing, Bradley? Good, thanks, Ian. And we also have in the studio Harriet Russell, our retail correspondent, who's been very busy today, haven't you, Harriet?
1: Yeah, it's been a busy day. Super Thursday.
0: Super Thursday, indeed. And over in the studio, we have our tips editor, Algie Hall. How are you doing, Algie? Hi, good, thanks, Ian. I think it's safe to say, it's been another absolutely terrible day on the markets. Uh, to quote RBS, the bears have killed Goldilocks. Bradley, take us through this. What do you think behind this continuation of what we saw at the end of last year? Seems to have worsened this year.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's come back from a holiday in a sort of bar humbug mood, obviously, and the market's having a torrid old day. um A few of us are dealing with some um, sort of you know, big share price falls in some of our tips, that sort of thing that we're looking at. The oil but- price, especially,
0: seems to be something. I saw Morgan Stanley predicting it could fall to as low as twenty dollars a barrel so that continues to be something that investors are getting quite concerned about
2: yeah i mean there's that in china i guess you have to kind of take not with a pinch of salt but obviously if an investment bank's bearish on an asset class it's partly because it probably sees some reason for the price to weaken but also there's a fair chance it could maybe be short to the asset class as well mm. so um but that said we have hit thirty dollars Uh, you know for a barrel of oil this week it recovered slightly from that but um you know so 20 dollars a barrel isn't necessarily that crazy um but yeah the oil price um is a big big pressure point on markets as is china it continues to be and yeah those things are really sort of weighing on weighing on sort of sentiment generally and in in the uk you've got kind of the issue of well sort of a macro level i suppose the brexit uh, referendum coming but and a more sort of uh, micro level i suppose of you know consumer spending and sentiment that sort of thing
0: staying with the oil price for second uh, BP has announced further jobs that it's, it's cutting there. But also there was something else in the news section related to that. Um, it's the only kind of part of the global economy seems to be doing really well, car sales. Uh, Daniel's written about obviously the low price of petrol contributing to kind of more people out on the road and buying cars.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's helping. Um, also helping our you know, very low interest rates. It's very um, uh, cheap for people to get credit out um, to buy a car, which they're, they seem to be doing quite a lot. Um, and also the um, sterling strength against the euro um, has helped European car manufacturers kind of sell their cars quite cheaply here. Um, because then the, you know, once the sterling price is converted back into euros, it's, it's not too bad, even if it's a bit cheaper than normal. So that's been that's been helping.
0: Talking about companies that tell us something about the economy, uh, we've also had some trading statements from the UK-based or mostly UK-based recruiters. Mm. Uh, what, have they, what have those told us?
2: Yeah, they've seen um, a bit of slowing growth in uh, in the UK. Um, I think kind of a message that a few of them kind of sent to our uh, reporter, Emma Powell, who spoke to them, was that um, you know, companies are taking a bit longer to higher people there are being a bit sort of cautious about you know making the right decision that's sort the of thing so that's having an impact um and generally i suppose that just it just speaks to the wider problems in the sort of well the, the wider sort of slight malaise in the economy i suppose you know sort of a concern about you know gdp growth about whether there'll actually be any, any meaningful inflation in the uk to go back to the rbs note i mean they're talking on a bit of a global perspective here but they they one thing they said in that note was that they you know quite probably see disinflation as we have at the moment turning into outright deflation and so obviously if you have that you don't really want to be hiring lots more people because you you may not need them.
0: Yeah and I think another point Emma makes well in this piece is that some of these problems are company specific. Michael Page saying that some clients taking longer to get through the hiring process not really a reflection so much of what's going on at a a country level Um, and Robert Walters what was interesting there is in financial services uh, they're seeing some more slug Hiring, Although they do think that's going to be uh, rebounding but obviously it's going to be connected to kind of what's going on uh, in the markets. Well aside from what we have in the news section building on that we've had further trading statements from all the retailers since we've gone to press. Now Harry you've been keeping a close eye on this. In print we've talked about home retail um, and Sainsbury's because Sainsbury's came out just before we went to publication. Um, But what, what more have we had today?
1: The Sainsbury's home retail potential sort of merger or takeover is is a developing story. We talked about it on the podcast last week as well.
0: What news have we just had on that overnight? Yeah, well,
1: overnight, home retailers has revealed that it's actually going to be selling Homebase, which is one of the two mega brands it owns, Homebase and Argos. It's going to sell Homebase to an Australian buyer called West Farmers. There was sort of a bit of confusion because that broke late last night and home retail had a trading update planned for this morning. So there's obviously been a bit of a leak there. But I think overall, Sainsbury shouldn't be too concerned about, about that part of it. In fact, they probably encouraged it.
0: Sainsbury's sold Homebase back in 2000, so it's not the part of the business that they were looking to buy anyway. No, absolutely. Anyway.
1: The, whole, the whole narrative throughout this process has been that Sainsbury's is really looking to get its hands on Argos' existing distribution network to really kick up its online distribution, particularly in the, with the likes of Amazon uh, really taking uh, the front foot in, in that space. So it's looking to sort of become more competitive. So That's I...
0: something, sorry, just to interrupt, something I wrote about this week in the taking stock, yeah. you know, and I think you talk, spoke about it a little bit last week on the podcast too mm. this kind of rise of click and collect that we saw especially over Christmas and I wrote about some consumer data that showed that quite a few of the people that use click and collect didn't have a brilliant experience so there is a risk with retailers here right that there they is... get into this distribution but yeah, they're not absolutely. very good
1: at it. I mean it's been a huge criticism so far of the potential home retail Sainsbury's tie-up is that actually Argos's network isn't designed for fresh food delivery at all obviously Sainsbury's has a really strong general merchandising business and there are synergies there obviously with what Argos does but the idea as far as we're told so far is that Sainsbury's is really trying to look at kicking up its fresh food delivery so quite how they're going to sort of mold Argos' distribution network into making that suitable remains to be seen
0: and not only that what we learned from this statement today was that um, home base is actually the better performing bit of, of that group yeah I mean that's
1: been no secret for a while anyone who's looked at the last few set of results would have seen the same but yeah it seems the trend continues Homebase like-for-likes were up five percent over the last period uh, whereas Argos was down so uh, about 2.2 I think so it's yeah there's definitely sort of disconnect connect there but as we said it's not really the Argos brand it's not the existing sort of trading that Sainsbury's is going after at all it's literally about logistics
0: let's talk Tesco
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, Tesco, in your piece, actually, you mentioned the CANTAR market share yeah. uh, data, which showed that uh, Tesco had kind of lost a bit of its market share again to the to the discounters. March mm-hmm. of the discounters ongoing. Um, but what did we learn about its kind of Christmas trading?
1: Yeah, it's, it, it's an interesting one. It's it's had a very strong Christmas, basically, to put it that way. The like for likes were up both um, in the third quarter as a whole and particularly over Christmas as well. With a deflationary environment, that's that's a huge outperformance of the market. And and one not to be sniffed at, considering Tesco's sort of inherent problems since its accounting scandal in 2014. So, you know, it's, it's a long road back. I wouldn't say that Drastic Dave's done everything he can do, but it's really, really encouraging. The shares were up considerably this morning. So, uh, yeah, all in the right direction. Do
0: we know anything yet about the steps that they've managed to take to get there? Are they discounting, you know, aggressively themselves?
1: Uh, well, I mean, there's always the way they phrase it is always quite interesting. It's very well- In a a PR sense that what they talk about is invested price cuts. So that means being quite selective on what they put on offer. And I think what's interesting, Morrison's obviously also had a trading update uh, on Tuesday. We talk a little bit about that in the piece as well. And obviously, Morrison's big sort of self-help measure has been to get out of convenience. Tesco seems to be doing the opposite. Its convenience chain is doing very, very well. So there's, it's interesting how each company sort of needs to find its own way in this market. There's no sort of, you know, one fix for all.
0: Yeah, watch this space as we have been and as we will continue mm-hmm. to do. Bad updates today. A couple stuck out. Um, Booker and ASOS.
1: Yeah, a couple of casualties. I do think the ASOS one is over-egged. I'll put that straight out there. Some analysts at Shawcap agree with me on that front. Basically, it's the the same old story. The top line's doing extremely well at ASOS. I think UK sales are up by a quarter, but the margins are off. And that's because ASOS does discount, particularly over Christmas, particularly post-Christmas as well. And uh, and so the market gets itself in a tizzy about the bottom line. Obviously, there was no sort of formal update in in this announcement about what the bottom line looks like. But they've said that full year expectations remain on track. So the shares were off about 3% this morning. But I would say Don't panic.
0: Sure. Okay. And how about Booker?
1: Yeah, Book is an interesting one. It's been a real sort of market darling for the last few years and, and it's a really sort of quality outfit in that respect. It's uh, it's done well for people who have taken sort of a long term approach to that stock. Uh,
0: explain this company for people that are listening and aren't Yeah, so Book is a
1: wholesaler, so it's definitely involved in the grocery market, but it doesn't typically have the same sort of exposure as as your typical sort of big Sainsbury's Tesco, Morrison's sort of big supermarkets. It does a lot more sort of convenience. It recently bought Budgeons and Londys last year, so that will give some People have an idea of what they're sort of involved in, and uh, they've been very, very highly rated. And that's obviously been an earmarker of quality for some time. But of course, what that means is if you even slightly miss your forecasts or even your expectations put forward by your brokers or city analysts in general, then you just fall off the cliff. And and that's what happened this morning.
0: Well, Harry, I know you've got to run off to another meeting. Is there anything particularly you're looking out for in the the next few days, or is the worst past in terms of your busy time? I think
1: the bulk is, is definitely through this morning. Anyone who who's looking for a real roundup should check out the news and tips from this morning. It's an absolute epic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: You've got yeah. the
1: time to work through it. There's, there's some really good stuff. Recent tips in there as well. Things like Supergroup, Burberry, all out with news this morning. Yeah,
0: the BBC may have their war and peace, but we have our own, <laughs> own long essay online. Yeah. Uh, so do look online for that. Okay, thank you very much. Well, the feature this week uh, looks at rock-solid dividends. And this is something that is also topical in the seven days section. We've got a uh, mini kind of nib story on payout pressure. Um, Bradley, what's the story here?
2: Yeah, I mean, a market, the uh, financial data and research firm, put out a paper earlier this week, um, looking at the pace of ordinary dividend growth paid by companies in Europe, the UK, Asia and the US. And I think that the the growth is going to fall to 5% on a constant currency basis. So there is still some growth there. So there's some good news, but the the pace of growth is much lower than it was previously. So it's almost half the 9.3% growth seen in the previous four calendars years obviously a big problem in the uk has been the oil majors and they continue to be i mean we've seen um, well commodity majors i should say i suppose because there's been dividend cuts in oil and mining bp and shell have both sort of staunchly said they'll be protecting their dividends and obviously listeners will be hoping that's the case because it probably those two stocks probably feature in almost everyone's pension pot in the uk um but yeah there's an awful lot of pressure in, in the commodity sector that makes up a big chunk of the uk market so that's a problem
0: so if you're worrying about what you're uh, how to work out whether you have a rock solid dividend we have a feature this week and it's an equity analyst called todd Wenning that's done a kind of 10 point checklist uh, for avoiding companies that may then cut their dividends algae you've looked at dividends and you've looked at dividend cover in particular and the kind of payout you get from uk companies and how that's changed over time you did a recent kind of blog piece you've written for ft money on this subject what have you found
3: Well, I did a blog just based on um, FT Money. We're asking what's one of the things you'll be looking out for in 2016. And I plumped for the question of sustainable dividends. Because as Bradley's talked about, the commodity sector, obviously cash flows are really coming under pressure. They've got very heavy capital commitments. And um, will they be able to pay their dividend whilst, Staying um, uh, fine on their the rest of their balance sheet and investing in their businesses and a lot of them don't know that they can like they can do it but um, there are lots of other companies lots of other kind of real stalwarts which um, people normally turn to for income which could disappoint as well I mean people like um, you know SSE uh, is obviously one and um, then Galaxo people are thinking could cut its dividend possibly. Companies is the problem- like Vodafone, people are looking at the free cash flow and going, oh my goodness, you know, is that actually going to be able to cover what we're hoping for from them?
0: And what are the main things that you think the private investors should look at when they're kind of worried about about well, this?
3: Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, there are a whole range of things, really. But um, the feature by Todd Wenning does a very good job at um, identifying a lot of real, real key things. So, I mean, also, I think his first point's um, really great, because um, when people look for yield, often they look... At how large the yield is, first and foremost, and it's. And his first point is almost don't be greedy, <laughs> because if you see a yield which is you know too good for, to be true, it normally is. Which you know the old, the old saying. And his 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 first point is don't look at um the, a high yield alone. You know it has to be seen in the round of the company.
0: We've talked before about whether you can have a rule of thumb for that. You know anything above a certain percentage yield looks. Yeah. Uh, but is that just too crude? I mean, it's
3: it's it is crude, but it's helpful. I I I always think. I mean, I I I definitely personally, if I see a yield of seven percent or more, I kind of think that's probably not real, really, or, or that's my assumption to begin with. There are obviously exceptions always, and I mean, you could you could go lower, but it's always good if there's a very high yield to be suspicious about why it's so high. And I mean, and also, um, Todd touches on other points. He talks about um. The growth rate, because obviously growth rates are very important in terms of income stocks, because most people buy these to hold on to them for a long time. So you're, you're not just buying the yield as it was, you're buying something which will hopefully keep up with inflation and surpass that. And that's the real value of a dividend actually over time, the, the growth in it. So, he, so he, he points out that you should look for companies where the growth rate's slowing down, and be worried by that or companies where the growth rate stopped. In other words, dividends being held flat and, and worry about that. Those are signs that um, income may not be able to hold up. And also he talks a lot about um, free cash flow, which is the, the the piece I've got in this week looks at dividend cover, which is based on historic earnings. It's quite a crude measure of how protected uh, yield is, but it's quite, in terms of looking at a whole market view, it's quite a good broad brush way to do it. But um When you really want to get down to the nub of what's going on, free cash flow is often where you want to be looking rather rather than the earnings because the earnings are a kind of um, airbrushed picture of what's Mm, happening mm. in the company, I suppose. And and
0: you've also kind of looked through and um, kind of come up with a screen for FTSE 350 stocks with a yield over 3.5% and more than two times covered.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah, I I wouldn't say this this isn't like the screens that I normally run in my column, which is... The the screens in the column are far more... um, (laughs) Kind of look, look, looking in more detail at, at what points we, uh, we can kind of layer onto each other. This is just very simply okay. What stocks um, do yield over three and a half percent and do have cover of over two times? And I and the the interest in this actually is just the dwindling number of stocks which provide a high yield which is well covered. And um, we we've, we've got a bar graph in, in with this follow-on piece which um, shows that. Whereas in um, January 2012, you could, about 25% of current FTSE 350 constituents could boast a 3.5% yield and cover of over two times. Now it's down below 10%, 8%, I think, if I remember rightly. So the kind of quality of um, of high dividend plays has really fallen off.
0: Is that partly because people have been hunting for income, you know, with bonds uh, offering low income, so you get more people that have piled into, you know, that whole bondification of the asset class?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, and no, I, I think just, you know, the market's got a lot more expensive as well. Uh, so, yes, I mean, and and um, as as Bradley was saying, you know, a lot of that's come down to, you know, where, where did um, historically have we looked for... Um, for income commodity um stocks are one of the major places and their earnings are really um, under
0: pressure. Well, I mean, what's interesting with this screen is the kind of companies it throws up. So towards the top, um, in terms of dividend yields and, and cover, are, are Phoenix and Old Mutual, which are both in, in my sector. Yeah. And they're interesting because they're very different companies yeah. and with quite different prospects. So Phoenix as a life uh, consolidator of closed life insurance books, um, has kind of a steady cash generation that underlies the dividend. It's something that we've been kind of positive on for a long time. Um, Old Mutual obviously has... Um, good prospects too um, but also has quite large challenges particularly in its kind of south africa um home market um and uh, the currency the rand and how it's kind of fallen against uh, developed market currencies so It's a crude measure. So going back to kind of Todd's point, you can't just buy something for the yield. You also need to say, if this is your stock, I'm going to hold on for for a long time. What do I think the prospects are for these companies?
3: Exactly. And and, I mean, also quite this measure, dividend cover, which is the, you know, this is um, the kind of go-to, you know, first port of call when you're saying, okay, does this dividend really stand up? You've got to remember it's normally historic. This is historic cover in this table. So will the earnings be, be that good in the future? Also, is it supported by cash? In the case of a company like Phoenix, I mean, as you point out, they're very different. Phoenix produces a reliable um, uh, income stream from these closed books that it's winding down, throws off cash, pays out the dividend. That's what the business is all about. Old Mutual is a far riskier proposition. And um, you look at the earnings that it's generating, you you know, there there are many um, kind of uncertainties which... um, are, are going to be quite prevalent this year, probably in, t- in terms big of big market term- exposure. Yeah, yeah, and and, and the rand, like you say, is kind of you know. Is, um, I mean, you, you'd you'd say although they look similar in uh, the table, you'd say Phoenix is the one which is which you'd bet on to you know deliver that yield.
0: Is it worth looking at those players that? Previously have um, paid dividends, but have stopped and are now coming back. I've spoken to fund managers who have said when a established income um, stock kind of goes away, stops paying a dividend. When they come back, they can actually come back faster than your typical um, than your typical dividend growth that you get. Thus, kind of pushing up the share price as people pile back in. Uh, I'm thinking about kind of Lloyds here, which we've also talked about as kind of returning to the income fold. Uh, is there any way should you look at kind of the history of companies' abilities to pay dividends? Kind of factor that in at all.
3: Well, uh yeah, I mean I, to, to an extent. I mean the dividend is um decided on by the board. So if um there's a big culture in that company and a desire of of the board members to pay it to be managing a company which is seen as a yield stock in the market, then um yes. I mean, you know, it's um it, it just depends how deep the problems are, how big the changes have had to be, but I mean, I think there are lots of companies which will want to, you know, Re- recapture their position as a kind of, you know, in, as as an income, you know, stalwart or whatever you want you want to call them. And I, Lloyd's Lloyd's is one. I mean, there's a clear ambition there to really, um, you know, start paying out some of the excess capital that um is generated. So you know that that could
0: easily be a stock. I mean, both of those that we talked about, um, you know, on the insurance side and on the bank side, um, as you say, it's a board decision. And these are two uh, sectors that have become increase uh, come under increasing pressure from regulators to uh, increase their levels of capital and, and not pay out as dividends and kind of keep it and to enhance the stability. And we've had capital requirements coming in on both the banks and insurance companies. Is that another thing you think you should factor in? You know, what is going what are the pressures going to be on capital from regulators? Yeah. Oh,
3: yeah. Well. Yes. I mean, if 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 they if if regulators are involved, or um, or you know, or just the capital commitments. I mean, you know, they are long capital cycles in the commodity um sector, and we're seeing that play out. But I mean, you know, those companies. Who, who knows where the market's going to take them? Whether we're going to see a whole load of rescue rights issues and things like that. Obviously, we've already seen rights issues, but they may. You know, when when things get back to some kind of normal, I suppose I'm sure they'll be looking to. Pay out, pay out lots of
0: dividends and um, be seen as income income plays. Okay, well, thank, thanks so much for that. This is, this is quite a long, in depth feature, so do go, but it's handily broken up into 10 key points plus an yep. extra bit of wordage from us. So um, please do go have a look at that. There's plenty more in the magazine this week uh, and online, of course. Uh, Theron Mohamed, our technology correspondent, has uh, written a sector focus on music companies. He's looked at Apple, he's looked at Spotify, he's looked at some of the smaller UK players that you can use to access the changing music industry. If you are so bold, uh, it's a bit of a moving target, that one. There's plenty more in there. It's £4.70 in all good news agents. Thank you very much and see you next week.